take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10. As we have completed that ninth chapter and move into chapter 10, but in my understanding of it, we're not really changing scenes just yet. We're still at the same event. There's a little bit of differences of opinion on that, whether chapter 10, you know, you've got to remember, please always remember, these chapters and verses were not in John's original letter or any other or, uh, original gospel or any other letter or or writing in the, in the scriptures. Those are man-made devices, very helpful man-made devices. It's a lot easier for me to say, turn to chapter 10, verse 1, than to say, well, turn over there where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. There's a bunch of those, all right? So it's a, it's a, it's a nice little device to be able to immediately get to a point, and I'm glad that the translators did that, but those are not inspired. <laughs> you know, those are just man-made devices to help us to, to find places in Scripture. But there's some discussion as to whether chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, is a continuation in the, the synagogue area at the, the Feast of the Tabernacles, or whether it's actually a part of chapter uh, 10, verse 22, where John recounts to us at the time of the Feast of the Dedication. I tend to put verses 1 through 21 back at the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, back at the feast that we've been looking at all this time. And, and, and it's going on afterwards. It's going on sort of out in the courtyard. It's a little bit of a, a discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and the blind man. But I do that because I see down in verse 21 it says, uh, these are not the sayings of a demon possessed, one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So they're still thinking about that man that we've been talking about that had bl been blind since birth and now has been given sight by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think the debate, the discussion is going on. I, I also tie it in because of what Jesus said to the Pharisees, or actually the Pharisees questioned him about back in, in uh, verses 40 and 41 where the Pharisees said, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus says, well, yeah, <laughs> you are. If you were blind physically, you would have no sin maybe, but since you say we see, your sin remains. And, and he's saying to them, no, you're not blind physically. You're not blind in, in some ways, but spiritually, you don't see your sin. You don't see your need for a Savior. You don't even see your need for interpreting the law rightly. You interpret it wrongly. And so in all of that, Jesus moves into this chapter 10 where he starts talking about the shepherd. Now, the shepherd is not a unique discussion to Jesus or the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the shepherd is an Old Testament analogy, an Old Testament picture. Ricky read today from Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, where David writes, "'The Lord is my shepherd.'" I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still or the quiet waters. He, he restores my soul. The Lord is my good shepherd. But also in the Old Testament, the, the leaders, the priests, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, all those who were a part of the religious leadership are referred to as shepherds. And so coming out of this discussion of spiritual blindness, Jesus starts talking about shepherds. 
I think he's throwing it right back at them and saying, listen, you try to claim to be shepherds. You act as though you're the shepherds of God's people, but you're not functioning as true shepherds. You are not leading the people as God would lead the people. You're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it on your own might. You're leading the sheep astray. That's what he's saying to these religious leaders. That can be said to a lot of religious leaders in our world today. I mean, the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people who claim to be shepherds who aren't shepherds. There are a lot of people who claim to be shepherds who lead people astray uh, in their own appetites and their own desires and their own wants and just, just saying, you know, do for me and I'll do for you type things. And that's what these shepherds so-called were doing. And, and so coming out of that discussion with the blind man, this is what Jesus says in the first six verses of the 10th chapter of John. Truly, truly, or if you got King James, verily, verily. In other words, listen to what I'm about to say. This is important. When Jesus repeats that word verily or truly, he's he's saying, perk your ears up. Hear what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say to you is vital. It's absolutely important. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Now, that's an interesting analysis by John. He said, Jesus said this to them, but they're all just standing around looking at each other. They don't understand what he's saying. Now, I guarantee you they understood when he called them blind. They they understood when he started talking about shepherds because they know what the the concept of shepherd is as it relates to the people of God. But what they're having struggles with here is how is he applying this to us and how is he applying this to himself? Now, he'll apply it to himself more in verses 7 through 13. 21. But here he's just talking about the general idea of a shepherd and their sheep and his sheep. Uh, we, we don't necessarily do things like they did in, in Jesus' day. And so sometimes this picture is a little foreign to us. You know, we don't really understand it as clearly as maybe we ought. But in Jesus' day, today you may see a, a herder of sheep pushing them along, following behind them with, with sheep dogs and and other instruments to to keep them moving, and he kind of pushes from behind. In Jesus' day, it wasn't that at all. The shepherd literally led the sheep. He he would go in and call out to them. They recognized the intonation of his voice. They recognized who he was. And if they were in a sheepfold where there were several flocks that had been put down for the night to sleep for the night and be protected for the night with a wall around them, they would rise up and they would follow their shepherd because they knew that shepherd's voice. And if someone else came in and called out to them, they would just look at him or they would run from him. It's an amazing thing. 
And Jesus says, here's the way it ought to be with the shepherds of God's people. They ought to be so in touch with their people. They ought to be so in touch with understanding their, who they are and what their real needs are, not their felt needs, not, their, not, not what they might think of their needs are, what they really need in a leader and a shepherd, that they will follow him. They will follow them. But this blind man heard the voices of those in the synagogue, those Pharisees, and he, he didn't recognize them. He said, listen, I, all I know is this man caused me to see. I was blind, been blind my whole life, and now I see. And you're crying out voices against him, and you're calling out my name, and you're trying to get me to follow you, but I don't recognize your voice. But I tell you what, this one that gave me sight, I recognize his voice. There's something true about it. There's something genuine about it that is nowhere else. So Jesus says, I want you to understand it's important that the sheep know their shepherd. It's important that the shepherd be one who knows his sheep and leads them along. Jesus talks here about this, this, this sheep fold. And again, many times it was, it was nothing more than just a kind of a rock wall built maybe against a cliff or something so that they'd have to build it all the way around, but they would bring it out and to the front, and there'd be a door in the front that the sheep would go in and out of. And many times the wall is no more than just two or three feet high, and it would sometimes have briars and thickets laid on top of it just so the, the, if the sheep did decide they are going to try to jump the wall, they would be convinced otherwise fairly quickly. And, and so they would all be put in there. And at night, many flocks would be put in. And, and sometimes some would try to slip over the gate. The, the, the thief and the robber would never enter through the door because the doorkeeper, be it another shepherd, who is just kind of watching it for all the shepherds this night and guarding it from wolves and, and thieves of the sheep. He would never let a robber in that door. He would only let those who belong in there, those who the sheep belong to, come in that door. And, and Jesus says, I want you to understand something. If, if you're going to follow, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're, you need to know who the shepherd is. And you need to hear his voice because he comes through the front. He doesn't sneak around. He doesn't find other ways to get there. And the implication is here that the Pharisees have done that. They're trying to be shepherds of the people, but they haven't entered the right way. Now, I don't know if they've, they've violated their, uh, their oath of office or if they violated the call, if their, their ordination is not sufficient and they've not done it. I don't, I don't know exactly what he's speaking of there, but he's giving the indication here that those are false shepherds. Now, one reason some people tie this to the to, to down in verse 22, the Feast of Dedication, uh, is because the Feast of Dedication was used to examine the shepherds of Israel. It, it was always, the, the Feast of Dedication, it's what, it was in December, and, and, or the, uh, the month of, it was referred to then the month of, uh, of uh, Kiev, but it was the month of December when all of these, uh, the people would celebrate with lights and candles and well, you know that feast. That's the one that the Jews today celebrate as Hanukkah. It was a celebration of the rededication of the temple after the Syrians had destroyed it in 167, during that inter, uh, B.C., during that intertestamental period between Malachi and, and the coming of the Messiah. And, and they destroyed the temple, and then they rededicated the temple. And, and the celebration of, of the Feast of Dedication, or the Feast of Hanukkah, became the celebration of that. But that time was always used as an examination of the shepherds of Israel. Because you see, the shepherds had led the sheep astray. They weren't doing what God had called them to do. 
Ezekiel talked about that. If you look back, if you want to turn with me, you can to Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm just going to read a few verses there. But hear what Ezekiel is saying. It says in chapter 34, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, came to Ezekiel, Son of man, remember there's the title that Jesus chooses for himself many times, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? In other words, they've been leeching off the flock. They've been, they've been feeding themselves. They've been getting what they want rather than giving what is needed for the flock. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The, the scattered, you have not brought back nor have you sought for the lost. Remember the shepherd, the, the parable Jesus used to the shepherd who has the 99 in the fold and goes out to find the one because that one is special to him, precious to him. He goes and brings him back. Well, he says, you haven't done that. But with, with force and with severity, you have dominated them. You've taken the law of Moses You've multiplied it and multiplied it again. You've got all these laws that just dominate on the people. They press down on the people. There's no freedom for the sheep. There's no, there's no joy for the sheep. They're, they're dominated by the shepherds. You haven't healed the sickly. You haven't strengthened them. You haven't healed the diseased. You haven't, those who are broken, you haven't bound them up or scattered, brought back. He's very, God's very critical here. They were scattered for lack of of a shepherd. And became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the surface, all the surface of the earth. And, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Remember Jesus' words, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost? All ties in here. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, P-R-E-Y, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them, and I will make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel there talks clearly about the failure of shepherds and the coming of one shepherd who will care for his people. And that's why Jesus will refer to himself later on in, in John's gospel as the great shepherd. I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he will say in verse 11, and we'll get to that later. But the point he's making here is, is that there is a failure 
of those who are charged with the truth of God's word and those who are charged with caring for the sheep. I I read an article this week about one well-known pastor, shepherd, evangelist, whatever you call him, televangelist, who has asked his people to send him two and a half million dollars so he can get out of debt. Now, my question was, what are you doing two and a half million dollars in debt to start with? But I found out he wasn't two and a half million dollars in debt. He was five million dollars in debt. But somebody else had said, if you can get your people to give two and a half million, I'll give two and a half million, and, and you can be out of debt. You need to be out of debt. And all of a sudden, he starts saying, I need you to send me two and a half million dollars so I can be out of debt. To me, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, in, 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 or God is talking about in Ezekiel, and, and Jesus is talking about it in Ezekiel too, because Jesus was there. He wrote it. You know, the shepherds feed on the flock. They leech off the flock. Now, Paul is very clear to say the shepherd, if they're shepherding right, if they're leading well, we talked about this in, in Sunday school class I sat in on this morning, if they're leading well, and they're faithful in teaching and preaching the Word of God, they'll be taken care of. They'll not go hungry. They'll not go, go in destitution. If they're, if they're leading and feeding the flock, then they ought to be treated as worthy shepherds and cared for by the flock. No problem there. But many times there is a, there's a leeching and a using that is not leadership, that is not shepherding. But it's just the opposite of what God has called them to do. That's what these Pharisees were doing. They were wealthy. They were in charge. They made all the rules. And they looked at the people and said, you do what we say or you'll be what happens. If you don't follow exactly what they say, what happened to the blind man? Now seeing man, what happened to him? It's not a rhetorical question. What happened to him? Yeah, he was cast out of the synagogue said, you're not going to live by my rules? Then you're out of here. It's not shepherding. Jesus says, my shepherds ought to go after those who are strayed. My, my, my shepherds ought to heal those who are, who are diseased. They ought to bind up those who are, are broken, who are crippled. They ought to hold them and care for them. The same is true in our day. Jesus is coming along, and now he's going to say, My sheep will hear my voice, and they will follow me. My sheep will hear my voice, and I will shepherd them. And I will be a good shepherd to them. And I will care for them. I will care for them so much that I will even lay down my life for them. There's the example we're to follow. There's the example we're to see. It's not the one of a shepherd who will take advantage of the flock. The example is not one who demands for himself and, and tries to build wealth for himself and build a, a, a prestigious name for himself, but a shepherd that is to be followed is to follow the example of Jesus who is willing to die for his sheep, who is willing to lay down his life, who is willing to be all sacrificial to meet the needs of those whom he cares for. I've got to admit that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big example. It's a pretty difficult example to follow, no doubt. But Jesus is saying, I want you to see who I am contrasted with who those are who are in the synagogue. And remember, everything he's saying now is under the shadow of the cross. 
Everything Jesus is talking about here, shepherding sheep and, and, and sheepfolds and, and calling sheep and hearing the voice and strangers not following strangers, is all under the shadow of the cross. He's moving toward Jerusalem. He knows that he's going there for a purpose, and that purpose is to die. To do what he just says, we'll say next week in the passage we look at, to lay down his life for the sheep. He's going there with the purpose of saying, I'm giving it all for my sheep that you might live. It's all under the shadow of the looming cross. He's not willy-nilly walking through Palestine saying, boy, I hope I can avoid some kind of uh, struggle with the, uh, with the authorities. I hope I can avoid any, any kind of suffering. I hope I can avoid any kind of persecution. No, he knows that's coming. His eyes are set toward Calvary. His eyes are knowing where he's going is going to end his life physically as we know it right now. He does not veer. He does not, does not swerve. He does not say, I can't go that direction because it's too dangerous. That's what we do sometimes, though, don't we? You know, our prayers are more not, not, not looking to the cross, not looking to his cross, not looking to, to follow the shepherd wherever that shepherd leads. But, but many times our, our prayers are, Lord, I want to be a disciple of yours as long as. As long as I have everything I want. As long as the road is smooth. As long as nobody opposes me and nobody stands against me. And heaven forbid, Lord, don't ever lead me into persecution of any sort, at any time, for any reason. And yet the shepherd says, follow me. And his eyes, when he says that, are set on a cross. They're focused on a cross. They're looking toward the cross. John says in Verse 6, he says, this figure of speech could be a parable, could be analogy, but this figure of speech, shepherd, all this, thieves, robbers, which Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what these things were which he had been saying to them. Why? Because they were blind. They were blind, not physically, but they were blind spiritually. And Jesus said they did not see, they did not know what I'm talking about. Jesus was talking about what we're about to celebrate now, his death burial, his resurrection. Jesus was talking about laying down his life. Again, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, not a hireling. I'm the one who comes in the grace and the power and the authority of God himself 
I call you. And those who are mine know my voice. They hear my voice. And they follow. Follow over the treacherous terrain. Follow through the valley of the shadow of death. Follow to the place where they are fed and they are warmed and they are comforted when they're in distress. And to get to that place, you go through the distress. When we come to this table, we come saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for the bread that represents your body, symbolic of your body, which was shed on the cross. Thankful for the wine or the juice that we say, Lord, thank you for this representation of your blood that was shed on the cross. You were the good shepherd who laid down your life for your sheep. You died that we might live. You died that we might know you. You laid down your life so that we might have life. And he's going to tell us later in the same chapter, and you might have it abundantly. We'll talk about what that means next week, because that's key. He is the good shepherd. And we come to this table to worship, We come to this table to say thank you. We come to this table to examine ourselves. We come to this table to say, Lord, teach us more about your grace. Teach us more about your sacrifice. And cleanse us, O Lord. Cleanse us in the here and now of sin that gets in our way. Sin's forgiven if you're a believer. But cleanse me daily. Cleanse me daily and help me follow your voice. Wherever you lead. We sing that hymn. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Sadly, in our day, we add caveats to it. Wherever he leads, I'll go as long as... It's not there. Wherever he leads, I'll go as long as it's where I want to go to begin with. Wherever he leads, I'll go. It's not too hard. Wherever he leads, I'll go. If it makes me happy. Jesus leads us to a cross. His cross, His death, and our life. Are we following the voice of the shepherd? Let's pray together. As we're praying, the deacons who are going to serve will make their way to the front. And prepare to serve this table, this meal. You know, I shared with you my Grace Notes article this week that I was reading one of the old Puritan books on worship. 
And when it talked about the Lord's table, it said, be sure and give warning at least a week before you come to the table. And so last Sunday night I gave warning, and during the week in the article I gave warning because they said this ought to be taken solemnly and seriously. Paul said, examine yourselves when you come to this table. Be sure you're of the faith, because this is for believers. So if you're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have trusted him, whether you're a member of grace or not, is not the issue. It's whether you belong to the Lord. It's His Supper. I invite you to share in with us if you come soberly and seriously and examining. If you're here not a believer, I ask you just to let the elements pass by you. And I ask you to think about what it means that His body was placed on that cross and He suffered the wrath of God there and His blood was shed for the new covenant that we might know him. This meal is to be taken by believers, but it's to be considered by all. It's very evangelistic. And saying, this is what Christ has done, that you may have life. Believe. You continue to pray and examine as we prepare for this meal. As the elements are passed to you, hold the bread and hold the cup until we partake together. This is symbolic, but it's, it's important symbolism. As we say, we are communing with our Lord in a special and unique way. The scripture said Jesus took the bread and took the wine on that last night he was with his disciples blessed it and he passed them among them and then he took the cup and did the same thing Father we come into your presence before your throne of grace thanking you Lord for what the bread and the fruit of the vine means Lord we pray that we will take it seriously today we take it we, we pray oh Lord that your Holy Spirit will so show us the glory of your sacrifice as the good shepherd laid down his life for us. We ask your blessings on the bread and on the cup for your glory 
and for our strengthening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, Not for good work do we, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your own law, I said, You are gods? He called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. You say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them... Though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp.
Scripture says that on that night he shared a meal with his disciples just before his betrayal, just before his crucifixion. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. On the cross. He said, take it and eat it. and Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Scripture tells us that the old covenant had not been obsolete, had not been deficient. There would have been no need for a new one. But because of our sin, he sent his son to die in our place, to receive God's wrath upon our sin in his body. And he said, the blood that's shed there on the cross... It's the blood of the new covenant that you may know God and that your sins may be forgiven. So take this and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. He said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. And come again, he is going to do. One day he will split the skies and all his people rejoice in his second coming. And we will celebrate with him the life that he has given us for now and forevermore. Scripture says on that night they observed that meal with him and they sang a hymn and they went out. We're going to stand together and sing together a hymn and we're going to sing I will glory in my Redeemer. This is also a hymn of commitment. God leads in your life if you need to come and unite with this church family or confess Christ as Lord. Whatever your need might be, you be obedient. And you come as we sing together. Let's stand together and let's sing.